thanks everybody for joining us for doing it my way podcast. Uh, tonight we're joined by uh, Dave Mirsky, who was the former CEO of Pacific Rim Capital. Yep. Yeah. All right. Finance, uh, a finance, a left-handed finance guy. A left-handed finance guy. <laughs> okay. Right. Well, welcome, Dave. Thanks, thanks man. Thanks, thank thanks you for Dave, for, for joining us. Uh, yeah, where were you yeah. born? I was born in Nyack, New York. So that's a little upstate. A little bit upstate. Okay. And how long do you, you, what are your first memories of Nyack? None. My, my dad was a school teacher nearby. So uh, my first memories are in Valley Stream, uh, Long Island, which is where my initial, you know, up to third grade where I, where I lived. Got it. Uh, and what, what did your parents do? They were both school teachers. My dad was a high school language teacher. Brilliant guy. Spoke seven languages. Holy shit. He taught French, Spanish, and Russian at the same time in the high school. Jeez. It was truly amazing. Um, and then my mom was a elementary school teacher. She had, first she had the retarded kids for like six years. She came home in a horrible mood every day. Oh. <laughs> it's really, it sucked. <laughs> and I would get beat up because, because we'd be on the playground and they would, they would say, oh, look, there's the retards. I'm like, you're not oh supposed to say right. that. Yeah, and right. I get, I get punched. <laughs> so you I go, defend them. I go, okay, retards, whatever. <laughs> so but so, then so you're, getting, you're getting beat up and your mom's in a shitty mood. Yeah, oh, she, yeah, yeah. But then she, she, she got rewarded, but they gave her gift, the gifted kids after that, after that. And she won like a teacher of the year and all this oh, kind of nice. stuff. So. What, what school was that? Uh, it was in the Hewlett school district. So my dad was at Hewlett high school. My mom was at one of the, there's four elementary schools. So she was at Hewlett elementary. So. Okay. And then she started coming home happy. God and, bless her. Yeah. But yeah. by then I was like pretty much down the road. You know? <laughs> was, so. was your dad self-taught for languages? Uh, like, he was, was self-taught in gift. some languages. He, he was completely fluent in Spanish. Russian was, was uh, his, I think he was self-taught and he was fluent Jesus. in that. Uh, he spoke other Romance languages, you know, Portuguese, you know. Uh, what the heck? French. Yeah. He, he was extremely fluent in French. You know, so it was fun traveling with him because he could just switch, bang, 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 like that. And, and everyone's like, looking at him like, yeah, what the hell? Yeah. Or, or wow. he was walking down the street and these these kids were giving him a hard time speaking in Spanish. He turns around and just rips him a new rear end. Just nice. like, boom. <laughs> you know, it, was, yeah. it was pretty funny to, to be around him that way. Very smart guy. Not so good with money. You know, school teachers don't make a lot of money. But. Correct. Did you, what were your first memories in, in elementary school besides getting your ass kicked? For <laughs> well, uh, my parents moved in when I was in third grade and we moved to the district where they taught. So okay. we moved from Valley Stream to Hewlett and we lived in apartments there. And um, they told me, I, you had to take an achievement test. So they told me I got the highest in the district, which you only would have known because they were teachers in the district. Mm -hmm. So my first memories really are of, of t getting into like, there was an advanced fourth grade class. And, you know, those were sort of my early memories. And then coming home, we hear my mother complain about my teachers by name, <laughs> which is really uncool. But teachers, do, they complain a lot. That's kind of one of their, <laughs> their deals. So. so you were a good student. I was, yeah, I was, well, it was very, very easy. School was very, very easy for me. Got it. Um, and so you were in like the, the, the gifted class I too? I was in that. And then I, I was put into a, a fifth, sixth, which was a combined fifth grade and sixth grade mm -hmm. class, which is probably my best year I had in school my entire entire life. It was really 
uh, you know, fantastic, interesting. I still hear from the from the teacher. He's like eighty five now. Holy you know? man, I was gonna say you don't hear m- many people saying fourth or fifth and sixth grade yeah, was, it was was great. It really was amazing. And then I went. Then I was in junior high school. and I was ten years old. That really sucked. Oh, I can't that's imagine. not fair. Yeah, you're a freaking baby. Yeah, I can barely remember those years because they were so bad. Yeah, uh, that's trauma. Did that, you have a job or anything during that time? Did I have a job uh, up in, in high school? I had a job. Yeah, I worked at a Carvel ice cream store, and I had a great time. It was, by that time, I had friends, and and uh, you know, I was no longer Car- Carvel. Was that uh, uh, Stuffy the Clown, or what was the Carvel? Know, soft was, ice cream was their he, thing. But he, I remember the commercials all the time in New York, and there was always like a a a animal of some sort. <laughs> oh, really? I don't yeah. remember that. Carvel, ice cream cake, and it was... Yes, the cakes. The clowns and, and uh, whales and stuff. I think I remember It was a great Carvel. job. I mean, it, you know, because all my friends would come in and... All, know, the girls all the come girls in, would come in. Free and, samples. Exactly. You know, in fact, I met my girlfriend at, at Carvel and... At least that girlfriend. So in junior high, you didn't you didn't have a, a job like a... No, I was, I was young. I mean... Oh, you're 10. Well, he was, was a 10, kid. He was but like, I was, you know, I turned 13. I was 13 in, in uh, 10th grade, I think. And then I, you know, I, I was turned 14 in November, which was when my birthday was. So then, mm-hmm. so yeah. So you so. were two years younger than you should have been. Right. Because back then the, um, the cutoff was December 1st. And, you know, if you're born after December 1st, you wait till the next year. Mm-hmm. And um, my birthday is November 22nd. My parents decided the guy had put me in. So I was, you know, four anyway when I first started. And then I. Then I would have been like the youngest in the grade, and then I skipped a year. So yeah, I, wow. It was, they, it was, no, and those are tough years to be young. Oh, man. Yeah, that was yeah, all, really the, bad. all the guys are like getting facial hair, and, and yeah. there's yeah. men. Yeah. yeah, there's men. And they're like, oh, and shit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, forget sports. Although I finally got on a track team in ninth grade, and that helped me a lot because they would they would race me against kids my own age. But then when I got into high school, I got on the track team. That was thirteen running against eighteen year olds. Oh, I go oh, forget it. I ran one race and said. <laughs> <laughs> I got my letter, and that was the last sports I did. Then I found other things to, to get interested in. What, 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 were you, what were those things in high school besides um, girls? Uh, you know, honestly, I was I was very motivated to make money. My parents didn't have a lot of money. My friends all had a lot more than I did. Mm. Um, I lived in first. We lived in apartments, and then uh, Hewlett's like Laguna Niguel. Okay. Yeah, I was just going to ask: Is Hewlett like? Uh, it's not like the Hamptons, but it's not. No, it's, it's like it's, it's like Lugan and Nigel, yeah. mostly high end and some very very high end stuff. And I lived near that, but I was like in a little worker. My parents finally bought a house. It was like fifteen hundred square foot house, you know. Mm. And and so I didn't do a lot of things my friends did. They'd be gone all summer at summer camp. I was by myself, you know. My dad had to write down every penny he ever spent. I just was, and and I'd walk around my neighborhoods and look at these giant houses, and I just said, I got I got to be able to live what, in one of these what, one day. What did your parents do in the summers when school was off? My dad taught summer schools, and then when I was older, they would take kids to Europe. And I'd be all by myself all summer, which wasn't bad when you're, when you're like junior. Wow. So they, they did a, a summer school in Europe? Well, the, my, they would teach summer school a lot of the summers, um, you know, so for extra money. And then uh, the other thing they could do is take high school students to Europe and they would get, I guess, compensated. Chaperone it, Chaparone right? Chaperone yeah. the trips. Cool. Yeah. So that was. So you had an Oregon house by yourself. Yep. Me, just me and my brother. <laughs> so, yeah. Brother younger or older? I have an older brother. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, yes, it was. we had some fun. In high school, was easy for you academically? Very, very okay. easy for me. Yeah. So I graduated at 16 and I went to SUNY Binghamton. And 
So at 16 years old, you're graduating high school. Yeah. Fortunately, I had pretty heavy facial hair by then, but, but so I was able to like pretend I was older. But nobody's 16 in your peer group. No, like everybody was two yeah, years old. All yeah, my friends are yeah, two years what, older. And mm -hmm. that's a huge two-year gap. Yeah, oh, yeah. Those, those ages. Yeah. Right? Like, you, I'm going to interrupt. What music were you listening to? Uh, Johnny Winter was like, I loved him. Um, you know, Edgar Winter, Johnny Winter, uh, you know, all the hardcore stuff. I loved the band, Elman Brothers. Yep. I used to go to the concerts all the time. We saw Bonnie Raitt used to play in Central Park. I saw oh, her a cool. million times. Uh, you know, I went to the Fillmore East a bunch of times. First concert I ever saw was uh, Mountain. And everybody's, you know, it's real psychedelic and, and, and the, the drummer kept breaking sticks. They would just kind of be flying through the air with this amazing back. It was so cool. Um, and then I saw, I saw BB King there. I saw Mad Dogs and Englishmen, uh, with the one they recorded for the album, one of those shows, you know, with Joe Cocker. I mean, it was oh, just shit. awesome, awesome stuff. What, what you know? year is this? Uh, like graduated high school in 72. So. Yeah. Oh, like. Just epic music. Yeah, 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 yeah. The music there was great. Yeah, yeah that was a really. You Did know, you have long hair? I had long hair until I got my my job at Carvel, and I kind of cut it. You know, uh -huh. I grew up back in college. So when I was in college, I had it down a year. You know, so at sixteen years old, you graduate high school. Mm -hmm. You're going to go to what was that? What was you knew you wanted to go to university? It wasn't really a choice. Okay. In my family, yeah, you just, it's just do. That's what you teachers, do. Teachers, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So where did you end up going? Um, I went to State University of New York at Binghamton, which was the best of the four state universities at the time. It was kind of like the UCLA of New York. Got it. And um, and where's that located? Binghamton, New York, which is just... Is, uh, that, on the, is that on the 17? Yeah. It's yeah. right off the of 17 in the southern <laughs> tier. Like, it's near the Finger Lakes area. Okay. Not too far from where you probably... What what town were you growing up in? South of Buffalo, but that was that was... Yeah. A few hours it's near, east. It's, near, it's, it's like an hour from Syracuse, maybe an hour and a half from Syracuse. Yeah, so. is, is, what's there? Corning? No, that's in yeah, Corning. Corning's nearby. Yeah. Um, you know, Monticello's nearby. I mean, Binghamton was a center in itself at that time. They had a lot of factories there. They had. They make shoes there? What they, they do yeah, there? Yeah, in fact, my uncle, yeah. my uncle was was in the shoe business. Yeah, so, I remember yeah. that. Endicott Johnson, Endicott Shoes. Endicott. Yeah. Uh, IBM started there, or at least had. I think they started in Vestal, which is which is one of the, the suburbs of Binghamton. Wow! And and the richest guy in town when I was there was this old farmer. He drove a purple Cadillac, wore <laughs> overalls. I guess he owned you know tons of stock, and so he was like really rich. It was, you know, all so. those all those towns in that those areas were had something mm -hmm. that put them on the map. Right. Mm. They made shoes or like there's towns in Connecticut that were felt towns and they made felt. They had mills like there's just right. everybody made something. Mm. Yep. Now we don't make shit. No, I mean, nothing. well, they're trying to bring I, I've been involved with the school a bit and, and I've, I've gotten to get be pretty good friends with the president. A guy named Harvey Stanger was a brilliant guy, a really good guy. Um, and he's trying hard to bring industry back. So they're they're trying to start a battery manufacturing center around Binghamton. Um, you know, uh, the latest technology for batteries and that oh, kind cool. of thing. So, so yeah, so hopefully oh, they good. can rebuild yeah, that. But one little thing can, can ignite the whole area. Right. Like, uh, Columbus just got something was either Tesla or Amazon or, you know, something pivotal mm -hmm. and it just changes the whole trajectory of the, of the yeah. mindset. Definitely. Which they need. Yeah, definitely. They do. We so, got to bring manufacturing back. hundred percent. hundred percent. Um, when you, Go to college. Mm -hmm. It's you, you live on campus. 
I lived on campus for the first two years. I got invited to leave after my second year. What was the first? <laughs> <laughs> by then, I already had a house lined up. Yeah, it so didn't matter. My parents well, never your knew that. Second year, you're only eighteen. Yeah, well, what, was, what was the I first was year? Very rowdy. What was the first year like as a sixteen-year-old kid Honestly, going away? I I loved it. I was so I I loved being away. My mother and my brother fought every day, and I couldn't stand it. Got so, it. So I didn't like being home. And my mom was she was very nice, but she had she was kind of anxious, very anxious person, and mm. used to kind of bother me. So I was happy to go there. Um, did you know? Got straight A's my first year, which no one <laughs> expected. Uh, and it was I had fun because I had a girlfriend. I was only sixteen in high school. You know, I had a girlfriend that year. And I was, you know, I, I realized later I had missed a lot of signals from girls because I was so young. I didn't, right. I didn't know. And so I made up for it in college. I went crazy. My, my senior, my uh, freshman year, I just was like. Did you live in a dorm? Or? I lived in a dorm and I, I must have hit every single girl <laughs> in the building. So, you know, and then I realized I was hurting people. So after a few months, I, get, I kind of like became more of a serial you know, my monogamist, but you know, <laughs> right. this is the 70s and it was, it was so great. It was fantastic. I had a ball. I loved it. I loved it. So, did, yeah, it was, did you it was invited, right? Yeah. yeah. Did you, did you go into college with a major? I was a chemistry major at first. Okay. And, um, I did very well. I, I liked chemistry. It just made sense to me. So I, you know, where people were like pulling hair out and organic, I was like, you know, I mean, I had to read it a couple of times, but I, you know, I really liked it. But, um, I really found I hated lab work. So one day I was doing an experiment, uh, where the weight of your fingerprints would throw off your results. I mean, you're talking ten thousands of a gram. Right. And I'm like, this is not for me. I'm a people person and I knew it. So <laughs> I went to see my advisor and I go, you know, Dr. Janauer, I, you know, I don't think I like the lab work. It's not really for me. And he goes, well, do what I did, you know, work at a lab for five years and then go into management. So I said, I think I'm going to cut that part out and just go into management. <laughs> so my, my sophomore year, I, I just switched major bang. I just went right into business. So what was amazing was that I had two years of school left, but I had to take an entire new major and I didn't want to go to school a day longer than I had to. I didn't want to take classes in the summer. So I got special permission to take six classes a semester instead of four. I had a petition every single semester. But so what was that? Eight, uh, 24 units? It was, yeah, it would have been 24 units instead Jesus. of the 16 was normal. And, but it was so much easier than science. I mean, science, you had, I had to study a lot. I mean, cause it was just, it's hard, you know, but this stuff you read it once and it made sense. So and, do you have a photographic memory? No, but if I read something five times, I, I, I do. Got I'm it. not like, I can't just read it once. That would be great. And you're no, a numbers guy, right? And I'm a numbers guy as it turns out. Yeah. I never thought of myself that way, but I realized since I, I am. Did you have a, a job in college? I did. I got a job at a, at a deli. Uh, my last two years, I was I worked at a at a Kaplan's Deli, which was across from my house. And uh, so, I mean, there I was taking six classes a semester, and I had a job. I never went in the summers. I was very proud of this. And I finished the whole thing, and I never, you know, I ended up with 140 something credits instead of 120 that you needed. Holy shit! And I never really thought much about it. And then I get a call one day. Uh, from the dean's office, and, you know, and and I'm I'm graduating. I'm like, oh crap! I must have missed a class. I mean, because that was easy for me to do. And they say, you know, are you going to graduation? I said, I don't know. I wasn't really sure. Well, then I said, well, tell me why you called. Well, you've been selected as symbolic student for the school of management, which basically was, um, you know, there's a big school. 
only one person would actually get a diploma and you sat on stage. Everyone else got a piece of paper and the diploma came in the mail later. Mm. So I was that guy. Wow. I was like, so I was like, yeah, hell yeah, I'm going. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember sitting up there seeing my dad running around taking pictures, you know. But uh, so that was that was kind of exciting. I, oh, I was, that's very I was exciting. That, so yeah, going going back two years prior, mm-hmm. you feel uh, up to telling us why you got asked to stay off campus? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, one of the things I, we did wrong was throw uh, firecrackers out the window on top of somebody who was tra- hitting on a girl. It was one of our roommates that was not that was frowned on. Um, <laughs> We had that's, a, that's, we, that's not allowed. You're not allowed to do that. Oh, shit. They had no sense of humor. Yeah. There was, we had a fuck science riot at the end of a semester where we lit <laughs> our books on fire and threw them in the stairwell. They didn't like that either. <laughs> and then <laughs> several of my roommates were businessmen, if you know what I mean. Yep. And I, I never, I would be a financier, but I wouldn't, I didn't want to do that. But right. they got in trouble. And What's that? Drugs? Yeah. <laughs> you know, kind of like stuff that's legal now, but wasn't legal right. then. Okay. Okay. Tickets and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, they was the money behind I was, it. Yeah, because yeah, I was yeah. like, I'm not going to get busted, but I'll, well, I'll let your money. Yeah, the statute of limitations, we're, we're <laughs> right, past that. Right, right. So, yeah, so um, that, was, that was my reason for being disinvited. I was interviewed by the district attorney one time, too. But, oh, oh, shit. Yeah, that was, it was pretty bad. But, but see, like towns like that, that stuff gets amplified. Right? <laughs> yeah, like well, yeah. They, they get the DA involved. Yeah, yeah. He's like, you want me to go talk to kids? Like <laughs> one of my roommates, though, uh, he he was a townie and he had he he was friends with the mayor. So at one point where we were really getting in trouble, he called the mayor up. No, <laughs> so everybody left. <laughs> we were fine. Nice. But I was like, you know, uh, that, that was scary. I have to admit. For sure. So yeah. you graduate? I graduated in yeah after in, four years. In in what's the next goal? Well, the next goal for me was to find a place. You know, where did I want to end up? Because mm-hmm. um, every adult that I looked at pretty much worked where they had their first job. That may not be true anymore, but it was true back then. And so, you know, location was going to be important to me, but I didn't know where I wanted to be. It's mm-hmm. cool you recognize that, That's though. That's wonderful. Because, like, when you think about it, and especially in those steel belt towns and towns that you get a job, you plant roots. That's yeah. that's where you're living. Right. That's your right. life. Yep. Right. You're not moving. Very few people. So for yeah. you to recognize that, that's kind of cool. Yeah, I I would read a lot, and I would like figure if something happened to every older person in a book, then it was probably going to happen to me, and I would use that to plan. I was what, that, I was that kind of a thinker. At that time. Everything. I mean, I read a lot, huge amount of books. But back then, I was reading a lot of fiction, you know, sci-fi and stuff, but it, some some nonfiction too. But mm-hmm. but uh, a lot of really a lot. In fact, when my friends were at, at summer camp and I was home, I would sit on my parents' porch and read all, all day because I was by myself. And then right. across the street, went to my parents and said, she thought there was something wrong with me. <laughs> so I was just out there. Well, yeah, you were, you were a retard. Yeah, yeah, was, yeah. yeah just reading about yeah. She had the biggest ass of any person I've ever seen, so there was something wrong with her. But <laughs> Sandwiches. <laughs> yeah, really. She was so, at Kaplan's. Yes, probably she was. What's so, that, pastrami? Pastrami on rock? There was a lot of pastrami in there. So you... you. So, so, well, my, so my senior year, I, I was depressed because I had some girl problems. And, and my buddy said, you know, it was Christmas vacation. Now my, my last one, let's go to California. And so we, we, you know, went and got a car from this agency. Some people needed a car delivered to Phoenix. So we, we drove to Phoenix and hitchhiked. What, what to, kind of car were they moving? Do you remember? I, I remember the ride back was in a Mazda. 
uh, with a rotary engine. So that was oh, kind of yeah, cool. Yeah. But I don't remember. What it was. So it was just some sta- some standard car. And on the did way you out. have? Did you have, like if you're driving somebody's car across the country, getting paid, right? No, it was just that was how you got. That okay, was, you, you were paying for gas, and that's how you got across you the country. You paid for gas, and you. S- you, got to use you the car. stayed at a motel or Howard Johnson's no, or something. Slept, or in the car. We slept in the car. In the car. <laughs> and, and you just drop it off at Phoenix. Yeah, with some, you know, with the address they gave us. And then we, we hitchhiked to, uh, and we got dropped off on Main Beach. This is probably January 2nd or 3rd, 1976. And it was, you know, one of those beautiful January days, you know. And we had, we had driven south on Route 81 all the way to Tennessee before we even got out of the clouds and snow, you know, I mean, this is the kind of weather. So you're in California and I'm looking around and you know, there's Harry Krishna's and girls in bikinis. And I'm this like, is this in is Laguna beach. Yeah. And I, I, I said, this is it. I'm going to live in California. Right. Uh, and my depression lifted and boom, just like that. So that's why, how I ended up out here. And I, I ended up, I got back and I started looking for a job in California and I took the first one that was kind of appropriate for, you know, my diploma I ended up man the draw of the draw of California over the years it's amazing is unbelievable it was beautiful back then I mean it was just fantastic so you know I I still think that same initial hit is there we, mm-hmm. my wife and I were on the beach two weeks ago and these four girls get out of a car with like Nebraska plates and they park they park at Blackie's beach and they get out and we saw their faces I know it was the first time they've ever got out of the car at the beach and they were just like this and they just walked to the beach. Mm-hmm. One of those girls is probably saying exactly what yep. you said. Yep. Holy shit. I'm living here. Yeah, yeah. I'm living here. I'm not going back. Yeah. And like, it, I'm, I'm, I'm a risk taker and, and I always knew I'd landed on my feet. I, I wasn't worried at all. So I got a job at the May Company and, and their executive training program, which is not for me, but I mean, the May Company, yeah, yeah. 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 Big department May store company. And, yeah. Wow. So, um, so you know. do you do you remember leaving home or, or yeah. saying goodbye and all oh, that yeah, shit? Yeah, yeah, I know. I didn't have a car. I, I couldn't yeah. drive when I first went to college, which was really bad. I didn't have a car until I was a senior. My dad gave me his V-dub. And, you know, and he, so I'm, I'm leaving with the things, you know, just full. A bug? Uh, yeah, VW ah, bug, dude. yellow bug. It's and, like a fucking movie. <laughs> oh, yeah, and and it really was. And, you know, my mom's crying, my girlfriend was crying, and my dad leans over because if I was your age, I'd be doing the same thing as you, nice. patting me on the back, you know? Oh, it's So wonderful. I just took off. So I remember I, was, I went to the George Washington Bridge. You basically go there and you make a left. <laughs> and you're on Route 80. Just take it all the way across. And just drive. Yeah. So I, I pull into the toll booth. The guy goes, man, where are you going? I go, I'm going to California. He's like, oh. You know, it was like it was it was like a movie. It was awesome. So I picked up a hitchhiker, you know, because back then if you had long hair, you looked a certain way. It was, you know. Yeah. So I picked up this guy and we drove together. We I remember we, we drove to Des Moines and we stayed in a motel and then I dropped him off. Uh, he was going to <laughs> Cheyenne and I, you know, kept going on Route eighty. And uh and I and the, one of the most amazing things for me was when I was pulling up, you know, that big incline from Reno. Mm-hmm. Now you're in the bug, so you, you can't. You're going you know, 25 miles right an hour right. on the floor <laughs> in second gear. So I'm behind all the trucks, and you get to the top, and all of a sudden you're in this beautiful forest. You know, and I was like, "Oh my god, you're right in California." I mean, it was perfect. Oh, you know? that's cool. So yeah, it was. And so you get here. Mm-hmm. And you have, where's where's your job at the main company? L.A. Yeah. Well, the, the thing was, for the first uh, six months, you were in a kind of in a. Uh, training with an assistant buyer, with a buyer and assistant buyer. Then they would send you to a store 
but you weren't, didn't get your final store for at least six months. And so you couldn't really you know, pick where you were going to live. So I, I had this really crappy apartment in an area that you probably couldn't live in anymore, but where it was near, it was near MacArthur park and it was, it was changing near Alvarado and yeah. that area. We were just there. Were you? Yep. Go to we, Tommy's we, burgers. And- uh, no, we were at, uh, we uh no, at- we went to, uh, um, pastrami place. Um, Shit. It's not, I want to say Slimans, but that's it's in It's not Cleveland. the Irish deli. Um, <laughs> it's been there a uh, hundred years. Fuck. I don't know. It's, I mean, it's, couldn't it's, afford that kind of food when I came out. It's catty corner to it. Uh, shit. <laughs> we're just there with, with, I'll, uh, remember, I'll remember with a good friend and customer. Uh-huh. That's where, we, that's where right there, Dave mm-hmm. is, is in the 1980s, late eighties mm-hmm. where you get your fake ID. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I, you know, I got lucky. I got an, I got a, a California ID and they, they got my birth date wrong. So I ended up <laughs> being 21, even though I was only 20. It was great. I was oh, like, shit. so lucky. I don't know like, how that happened. Right. The luckiest guy. The best thing ever. Yeah. yeah. So, but, um, yeah, so that's, that's where my apartment was. It had a Murphy bed, you know, it came out of the wall and it was, you know, I had cockroaches and I mean, like, it was a shithole. It was a shithole. Shit yeah. But, but, but how it, great was it? It was great. You know, I was by myself, didn't care. You know, I just drove everywhere, checked well, out all of California. Do you remember what the, your rent was? <sighs> it was like a hundred bucks a month yeah. furnished or something. Yeah. yeah. It was, yeah, it was and like And you, the, you just hearing kind of what you said, you could, you kind of have some huevos where. I didn't know anybody at all. You were okay moving and okay yep. living by yourself. Yep. Okay. Yep. Okay. Yep. Taking chances. Yep. Yep. Oh, cool. And, you know, and I, I met girls pretty easily. So that, you know, there were girls in the training class and. Mm-hmm. Like, I've never seen a Murphy bed, <laughs> <laughs> kind of like that, you know. And, yeah. and the yeah. May company was kind of a force, huge, like, huge, yeah. huge. Yeah. And I don't do do these department stores even do this anymore? Do they hire? Uh, do they Kevin, re- heavily know. recruit out of college? I doubt and it. I mean, hire they're, buyers because I've heard that a bunch. Mm-hmm. Like Gerald was a big May guy, mm-hmm. and there was like. You know, it was like Procter and Gamble. Yeah, that was you know, a major, was, a major. I mean, it, it was a catapult for so many careers. Yeah, yeah. So what I did there, so I, uh, the thing was that when you finally got assigned a store, then you knew where you were going to live. And I got assigned this little store at the City Shopping Center, which is no longer in existence. I think it became the Block. It's by State College and in Orange. Oh, in Orange. Orange. Yeah. 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 So there was okay. a little little make company there. And, um, you know, I was immediately a department manager, so I had a staff and I, you know, and, I had to learn how to deal with how them. How old are you? 19? I was, uh, I was, uh, 20. I turned, probably turned 21 by the time I got Your my department store. department manager? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I had, I had housewares. Um, I had, uh, stationery. I had wine. I think that, you know, books and stationery and wine. Shit. Yeah. And, and I, I, I could get commission on the, on the, uh, on the vacuum cleaner. So I always would put dirt in my jacket pocket on the, walking into the <laughs> store. And there's all these old ladies that were lived nearby. They'd come in and I would, I would give them demonstrations with the dirt. And, <laughs> and I'd go, do you have stairs in your, in your house? Oh, yes. I go, isn't it hard to bring up your, Vacuum cleaner. Oh, it's so hard. Well, this model has tracks. It'll write up. It was like the most expensive one was 400 bucks. What's it, Electrolux? Uh, yeah, I think it was. <laughs> and and I ended up like being number one on the chain for, for vacuums, even though we were like the smallest store. They couldn't figure it out, but it was like I what could make 3%. It? What do you yeah. think? So you were, like, you were driven by the dollar. You knew always. that, hey, I could, I could. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, the May, May company wasn't probably paying the commissions no. to 
well, vacuum cleaner I think company Hoover, was. I think Hoover probably paid him. Yeah, yeah. I think it was. I think it's how, how it worked. That's wow. Funny. So, so, but the, you know, so my, I made really good friends with the the manager next door, and he was a native, and so we hung out. And he, he showed me all around, and he had this cute assistant. And I used to joke around with her. She was married, so. But we would joke around in my stock room, became, you know, friends. And then she just disappeared. I never gave her another thought. And then one day this, this girl comes in and she, she, you know, talked to me for like 15 minutes before I realized who it was. I go, Cindy's that you? She goes, yeah, she got in divorce. She'd lost all this weight. She was, look, she was stunning. She goes, do you want to go out? I go, yeah, let's go out. And we're still out. We're still out. Ah, <laughs> yeah. well, that's awesome. Hell yeah. yeah, yeah so. Well done, Cindy. Yeah, yeah she, that's she May, closed that deal. That's a May company uh, success story. Success relationship. Story. Yep, yep, yep. We met there, and they don't want you to date employees. No, well, no, no, no. <laughs> things are real different now. I mean, it yeah. wasn't like that back then. I mean, you're allowed to smoke in the May Company, probably. Yes, yes. yes. In fact, we used to make fun of the store manager because he was always emptying ashtrays. Yeah, you were allowed <laughs> to say ashtrays. You could. Yeah, that was that was. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I learned. I, I was tougher than I thought I was. You know. Um, like this, this one gal said, I put her on, you had to schedule people you know, every week and I put her on for a night and, and she says, I don't work nights. And I go, well, everybody has to work nights sometimes. No, I don't work nights. It's okay. Well, and, and so the next week she comes in, look at her schedule. I give her five nights in a row <laughs> and I didn't say anything. And she worked every night and never gave me a problem again for the forever. Right. You and know? then she realized after, after her was punishment, gonna, if you want a job, yeah. she's going to work. Right. One night a week. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. That, that was, you know, I even surprised myself sometimes. But how long were you at the May Company? Uh, a couple of years. I, I, after about a year, a little more than a year, I got promoted to be an assistant buyer in, in a w women's knitwear, which was like the cushiest thing. And I was like, not the right choice for it, but, but I did well because, what was know, What was women's knitwear? Women's knitwear. I was so in women's funny. sweaters. Uh, it okay. was, you know, so. You know, that's could, a department. I, I could still that's a fall, department. Yeah, one a woman was the buyer, and she would, you know, she'd go to Korea, and she kind of did like the knockoffs of the high fashion. So the next year they would come back, and you know they have to order all the stuff a year in advance, and mm -hmm. have all these things. I learned about vegetable colors and plackets and all this weird <laughs> stuff that I couldn't care less about. Um, but I can still fold sweaters really well. I'm good at that. Yeah. <laughs> so I did that for a couple of years, and I really wanted to. Uh, I, I, the salesmen who would who would come call on us were obviously making more money than than we were. And mm -hmm. I said, I, I got to get into sales. Cause Did this, you know you were a sales guy? Uh, no, not really. I really didn't. But I mean, but, dude, when you were closing all that ass, you were a sales guy. <laughs> I, now I know that. Right. But, like, oh, dude, <laughs> that was just horny. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, 16, 17, 18, 20, you're, you're you know. Dude, I think a lot of a lot of people don't get it. Yeah. It's very hard to be a sales guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's yes. It's very hard. So I, I, I wanted to get into sales. And so I started interviewing, uh, uh, you know, for sales jobs. No one would ever hire me. And then through some kind of very interesting sexual harassment story, this is a true story. My wife likes to tell it. I, <laughs> I got into high tech because I, I wanted to get into high tech. I wanted to get into sales. So I was like. What, what year is this? This is 78, I'd say 78. Okay. And where are you living? Where are you guys living? Uh, at that time, I think I was still in Garden Grove. I, was, I, I found an apartment in Garden Grove, 140 a month furnished. Okay. Uh, one bedroom. Nice. Not making money. No, not a yet. A little bit, right? Yeah, no, really what not. What were you driving? I was the still bug? driving my bug. The bug. And, nice. I, and uh, I, I had never encountered Samoans before, but they lived across the street. Yeah. And I remember seeing this mom 
She's gigantic. Pick they're, up a garbage pail and chuck it at the cops because they're cops were <laughs> there. I was like, oh my god! Kind of, I was like, wow, look at these people. They were just so big, you know, little, five eight, you know. Right. So, so it was it was it was interesting. But uh, the Stewart Arms is where I lived, right on the corner. I think it was of like New Hope and Garden Grove Boulevard or something. It was in that general area. Yeah. So um, let's see. So after that, um, when I. I I, I, we were invited by my former boss to um, uh, go over to their house for Thanksgiving. My, Cindy and I, my wife and I. Well, she we was my girlfriend at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, I got there before Cindy did. And, and this woman was there and her husband wasn't there yet. Okay, so she's like eight years older than me. And I thought she was really old. And she was like very beautiful. And, and she's like, coming on to me and I was terrified. I'm like, what the, this is like, you know, what am I going to do? Right. I mean, a graduate. I, right. I was like, I can't, I don't think I could do this, you know? So I was like, oh, I was, it was, and so all of a sudden the door opens and Cindy and her husband come walking in and Cindy said it was obvious that I was, I was the innocent party. So that kind of got diffused. Then we had our dinner and her husband uh, wanted to get me out of there. And so he got me an interview with Memorex and um, I basically threw myself on this guy's desk and we said, I don't care what you pay me, just hire me. I, I want a job. So they paid me as little as they could. It was, and it was still like 20% more than I was making. So I was happy. Nice. Yeah. And you were a sales guy for Memorex. No, what I, what I was, I, um, this was a company called business systems T- division. It used to be called business systems technology and Memorex had just bought it. And this company made IBM compatible peripherals. So basically you'd buy an IBM mainframe Mm-hmm. And then the, like the disk drives and everything's bought separately and they're very expensive. So they made, you know, alternate memory and you know, disk drives and so on that, that were cheaper. And so um, all the entrepreneurs quit. So I got put into a really good job that was kind of over my head. I was in charge of full system lease. So what I would do is I'd buy used IBM computers from the open market. And then I would, I would schedule Memorex peripherals all around it, price the whole thing on a lease and go out and help the salesman close these deals. So there I was 22. I was flying all over the country making presentations. It was great. So so businesses then, <clears throat> to buy a computer because they were so expensive, leased them. They generally leased them from IBM or somebody like that. But there was a there was kind of a of, of a side business where some independents would lease them. But there was also a, a pretty robust used market, kind of like cars. Mm-hmm. It was a pretty liquid market, and these were smaller computers. They're called System Threes at the time, but they were still a quarter of a million bucks. You know, oh shit, big big things. And so um, there was a, a you know a whole buying and selling business, and I got to know it because I was buying these machines from brokers who would you know they'd quote me a price, they go they would sell short usually and go buy it buy the car. I mean buy the the computer. And mm-hmm. so I learned about leasing and I learned kind of about that business. So the guy that had the job before me had in, a, in late seventies, right? This is yeah. Late seventies, so like 78, 79. Leasing was kind of new. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like leasing. Nobody leased cars. Nobody in the late seventies. No. It was only for equipment. Right. 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 Jeez. Yeah. And what was it? What was what, what was the sort of the, the, the pitch and the process of, of leasing a $250,000 computer? Well, first of all, well, you'd get the price on all of the assets. You know, it was a bit of a mystery to me still at that time, but you basically, IBM would charge X dollars a month and you could finance, but IBM had a kind of a rental program. Mm-hmm. So th- their price was high, <clears throat> but half the... If the purchase price went towards half the rent went towards the purchase price of the machine, mm-hmm. it was called accrual accruals. Mm-hmm. When the machine got the fifty percent of its original price, 
it, you couldn't get any more accrual. So rentals were kind of wasted. So the but residual. Could, right. So I could buy the, but I could buy the machine then for its accrued price, which is say 50% of original list mm -hmm. and take a lease and spread it out over three years, which would fit the term the customer wanted to use it and be far less than what IBM was charging. So, okay. The, the thing was 200 grand at the end of th whatever their term was, you could buy it for a hundred grand, lease it to a new guy. Or lease it to the same guy who was paying IBM say 10,000 a month. And I could do it for 4,000 a month for, for a three year firm term, you know? Yeah. So that was, so, so that was kind of, you're killing it. Yeah. And that, so that was the business. And, and so uh, you could buy those machines. There was a big lot of trading of those kind of machines. And back then, IBM didn't try to interfere later. And they, and sure, they, and they, they weren't outdating themselves every six months. I mean, a machine lasted a couple of years. Yeah. So it didn't, it, you know, it wasn't like it Moore's, wasn't, Moore's right. Law where everything was getting. Well, it was a little slower back yeah. then, but it was still, it was still happening. I mean, they were, they were losing it. That's why people might lease them because they're losing some of their value. So, so, um, that was that was the idea of of the of the business, and that was why uh, people would would do it. It's kind of that would create it, this whole market. But these guys were were still leasing entire. They're trying to lease entire systems. Mm -hmm. So I you know I might buy the machine and 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 be able to add it. But the, the salesmen out there were trying to get all the Memorex peripherals. That was how, what they were making money on. So it was like kind of a whole package deal. You just compare it to IBM. All IBM would be here. IBM and, you know, used IBM and, and Memorex would be down here. Mm. And, you know, so. so. I, I only know Memorex from like tapes, like right. cassette tapes. They were making they were computer making, equipment? Yeah. Oh. In fact, well, the disk drives were made by Fuji, Fujitsu. Yeah. Fujitsu. Um, I think the, the they were known for uh, tape drives, though. IBM, you know, for uh, computer tape drives, yeah. so which were very expensive back then. Huh, so. cool. So I, you know, I, but I still wasn't in sales. I was, I was getting paid pretty well, but I wanted to get into sales. So a guy, the guy that had the job before me had gone off on his own, started his own company and he had guys in the field selling and, and all that. And he said, I want you to work for me. We'll try to teach you sales on the phone. We don't know if it'll work. And if it doesn't work, we'll teach you finance. Mm -hmm. And since nobody would hire me for sales, it like it seemed like a good deal. They're willing to pay me what I was making now anyway. So I couldn't really lose. And for about nine months, I didn't close a deal. And these guys really couldn't tell me what to do because these guys weren't sales guys. And so I just racked my brain. I would like, you so know. So frustrating. Very frustrating. And so I find, but back then, I don't, back then they were selling, cold calling to sell you like car insurance on the phone and stuff. Mm. And I, so one day I was thinking, what would make me buy, you know, car insurance, some guy I never met. And I thought, well, if you told me my friend Mike bought from him, then I would, I would probably be willing to talk to him. So I created a whole presentation kind of based around the same concept. Of, of a f f uh, fake referral. Well, it, I did that later, but what this was more <laughs> like. <laughs> but I would take a name of a company we were doing business with that they would have heard of. And I'll Got say, it. you know, we're, now I'm calling long distance, which was like amazing back then. That was, you yeah, that, yeah, you're going out of your yeah, way. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, you know, we're doing business with this guy and that guy and this guy. And An affirmation. Gotcha. Right, and then, and then what would happen is this IBM reps would help you to make the sale because they would get a big bonus if their fully accrued machines got sold. And IBM guys killed it back yeah. then, right? Yes, they did. So I, I made friends with the local. I, I get one deal, make friends with the IBM guy, and then he would introduce me to all his other customers. How was your first deal? You remember what happened? Uh, I, I, I don't. So I don't remember my first. Uh, I just remember that that from January to like no like August, I didn't close anything, and between August and and December. I ended up 
making $40,000. And this is back in like 1979. And that yeah. was huge. That was huge. huge. The next year I made 90 grand and, and I was making, and then the owner of the company got mad because I was making almost as much as him. Yeah. That's, what, that's what, do you think that's fair? Owners, I go, dude. I go, yeah, I think Fuck it's fair. These guys. Yeah, I mean, Right. You know, so, so then they decided to close all their field offices and they started hiring all these, all these telephone guys and, you know, and they wanted me to be in charge. And I, I didn't, I wanted to be a sale, make money. I didn't want to be a, a manager. So I, I left there and went to work for a, a the, the real uh, high end job in that industry was to be a field rep and doing really large mainframes leases. So I went to work for a company called Capital Associates. I had, a, there was an in-between in company, but the company I, I stayed with was called Capital Associates. I joined them in 1983 as a salesman. There were five salesmen in the company. It was like 25 people in the whole company. Where is this, LA? Uh, it was based, well, my boss was based in Redondo Beach, um, but they were also had offices in, uh, the other founders were in Colorado, Colorado Springs and in Boulder. So, um, you know, I was, calling on Transamerica, big, you know, all the yeah. big aerospace companies. And, and what I, are you selling? Like Cray computers or? No, I was, I was, le back ideas. then I was leasing. Well, it was more like at that point, it's like you're getting your, your computers from uh, either from IBM or from uh, in the used market. And, you know, you would just quote on the, on the, the deals, but they were like two, three, $4 million deals. These Jeez. were big transactions. And sometimes you would provide a used machine and, you, you know, but these are, again, a $2 million used machine. This is, so there was real money in these things. Wow. So I, you know, so I became a salesman there and um, ended up like, you know, making, going from 100 to 250 to, you know, 300. And then uh, they hired a guy who, who um, I knew uh, to, to, to run their used equipment business. So if you were getting bidding on like a mainframe, he'd find it for you. Okay. Mm, broker type guy. Yeah. Yeah. So he was their in-house broker. And I sold the machine to, to Lockheed. Now, the thing is, is that it, the thing, they had to have a serial number so they could order software. Okay. And it was a big hassle to change it. But usually you're selling short. You don't have a machine yet. Right. So I, you just, so you lie, you lie to the customer, <laughs> you know, and, and you get, take a serial number from some other deal and you, and you, and you tell them that. And that was just what you had to do. It was just the business, you know, right. and the, this guy, the cart, the cart before the horse. Well, you sold right? it short. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you got to go out and, and secure your machine. You know, it'd be like, if you sold me a Ferrari, but you really saw, had already sold to someone else, you had to go find another one. Right. You know, it was like that. <laughs> so that was just the business. And so. <laughs> Somehow me and this guy went to see the client and he, and he admits that we don't have a serial number. It almost blew up at like a $5 million deal. And I was like, you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> so then I get on the phone to my boss. And I was like, this guy's a fucking idiot. Blah, 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 blah. It's like, really? So next thing I know, he fires the guy and he calls me up. He goes, you've got a new job. And I'm like, I don't want that job, but I took it. So, <laughs> so then I, I left my field job and I became uh, the head of the remarketing business. And uh, all the salesmen were really selling new stuff. They didn't want to sell used stuff because I had to, I had to sell all the stuff that came off lease. And mm. you know, this, these guys had a pretty big portfolio of, of, of leases always coming off. So, so uh, I built the trading operation there, and then I hired a bunch of guys, and I started using some of the techniques I had developed for telephone sales. And I had these guys selling used stuff on the telephone, and you know, while the field guys were doing their thing. And then eventually, they became the company became very large. It became uh, went public. And I was eventually executive VP of marketing. Going, ba going back, uh -huh. when you first started making money, what did you do? Did you buy a Rolex? I bought a pinky ring, <laughs> 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 which I'm yes. embarrassed to admit, but I did. 
What, what was, it, was it a stone or? It was a gold ring with a little crappy diamond in it. Yeah. You know? Good for you. I bought this a is an early, was well, the early 80s? Uh, yeah. Well, the first thing I bought was a, was a my first new car. I, I traded in the, the bug and I bought a Toyota Celica, five speed. Loved the car. Cool. That nice. was great. Uh, so I was very excited. How about much was that? that? You remember? Uh, 7,500 bucks. Wow. Yeah. You put it on the drip? What do you mean? You struck your check you or did you finance, finance it? it? I financed it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have that kind of money. Right? And, I, and I just, I fretted over paying it. I said, it was like a hundred bucks, 140 bucks a month or right. something. Like, oh shit, what am I doing? Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, and my wife finally said, shut up. My girlfriend, said, shut up. I don't want to hear about it anymore. Cause I was like, oh, can I afford it? But I kept going back and forth. But I, but I did, I, I bought that car. And what was really cool is I, I drove up to her house and her grandmother was there and, and her grandmother, Mike, I, I never met a grandparent that didn't have an accent until I came to California. So <laughs> That's I met funny. Her, her grandmother, she goes, wow. oh, you got mad wheels. I was like, I almost fainted. That's your grandmother. <laughs> right, right. The, my, my grandmother no was accent, from Austria. No accent, yeah. and she knows what mag wheels yeah, are. Mag exactly. wheels. I just couldn't believe it. Man, you know, that that's really funny. You never met a grandmother without an accent. Mm, never met one without an accent. Thinking about that almost all Back East grandmothers all back east <laughs> were right grandmothers. off the boat, and yep. they all had accents. So yep. That's great. Yep. My parents are first generation. I'm second generation. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so so yeah. So anyway, so that was what I bought, and then I ended up buying. Co- I started because I couldn't have a car in college, you know, because I was too young, and then I just couldn't afford one. It it always really bothered me. So I, I think I got really hung up on cars, and sure. I began to love them. And so I just started, I bought a 280Z after that. I bought a, you know, and I started always buying used sports cars and just always having at least three cars so I could, you know. So you're so, a car, you're a car guy. I was, at that point I started, yeah, started buying, buying a lot of cars. Yeah. I like it. Cars are fun. Yeah. Very yeah. fun. Um, so the company goes public. You're the, where I was you? executive VP of marketing, opened a sub for them in Japan. I mean, it was, it was pretty heady times. I was making almost a million bucks a year. Shit. The late 80s. <laughs> In the eighties, and I was in my early thirties. It was it was pretty good. It was and pretty good when, and where are you guys living? At that point, I had bought a house. First, I I had bought a house in Huntington Beach because we had our first kid in eighty five, and then we had our second kid in eighty seven. The house was small, and then I, I bought a house in Nelly Geller. So I always loved it down there. Mm-hmm. So I bought a, a a custom house. It was it was you know um, it needed some some work, but I got it for like eight fifty, which was a deal at the time. And uh, so that was, you know, we loved the house and all that. Got it. So that's where we were. And I, I had a bit of a disaster later, but I'll tell you about that at the right time. What What happens <laughs> after you go public and you're the... Leasing companies should never go public, in my opinion, because when you're public, you're driven to always have quarterly results. Dude. Leasing is like fishing, not farming. You, it's lumpy business, mm-hmm. okay? And so if you have to always show earnings, you're going to start doing bad deals. You're going to start taking yep. risks. Jeez, I think and a lot of companies shouldn't go public I, for that yeah, reason. Wow. Yep. Well, Ferrari is one. Well, yeah, there's, I mean, there's, it's the parallel to leasing companies and luxury good companies is you, 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 you're not supposed to grow every quarter. Mm-hmm. Right. You can't. No. You and, can't. And, and, and they start. And the analysts want you to grow every quarter. Right. And if you're not growing, then you start fudging the books, or, right. you, start or you start doing, doing being creative bad, math, or yeah, or deals, shitty you know, deals in leasing. And it's probably true in, in auto leasing too. You book a residual on the day you do the deal. You say it's going to be worth forty percent at the end of the lease, mm-hmm. and so you booked it like it really happened. Right, but you don't even let, know. Then at the end of the lease, <laughs> if you get twenty five, you just then you take a loss. So. 
you can see what happens. You yeah. know, within a couple of years, the you know, the chickens come home to roost and they collapse your house. You know, <laughs> and that's what happened to these guys. And I started to argue with them. I disagreed with what they were doing. So you knew immediately. I I, I knew because I was had been the remarketing guy. I knew what was going on. You were you were the used car manager. I had been. So yeah, you knew. I knew, and and I started to not get along with management. You know. Huh. And um, I moved to Colorado, which is, I, so I lost that, that. I sold the Nelly Gale house, but I really didn't want to, but I did. Um, and I bought a house in Colorado and I moved there and I moved, I moved my entire staff. I had 60 people. Everybody went with me. Nobody quit, which was amazing. Did you own the company? No, I was just, you know, a high level executive there. And, oh, I, yeah. you know, I was an ambitious young guy and I, you know, I wanted to be president. They said I was going to be president. So, you know. So I went out there and it became obvious that I was not going to be president. They started cutting my responsibilities back. Mm. And so I just, I just said, F this, I'm quitting. And I, my partner and I, Mark Mills, uh, did you know, did you know when, did you know they were outing you? you could, or did, I could tell or did you just while. drive home unhappy? No, I, I knew it at a, at, at a point because I started, well, I started, you know, step standing, getting in their faces about things because I, I really knew they were making mistakes. And then being public, you had to sign things that say, I know that nothing has happened and I couldn't, I wouldn't sign a letter. Right. Mm. I had seen things that I knew were not kosher and that didn't help my career either, but I wasn't going to do that, you know? So, so we got pretty upside down and, and it, it was sad because the, the boss was like my, my first real mentor. I really admired the guy and he taught me a lot about sales and, you know, he was great, great at that. He was kind of at his issues, but he was a really great salesman and, and, and great at hiring people. And, uh, and they, they could have been wonderful private. They didn't need they to go done, public. Yes. But he's, he had, he had an ego problem. This yeah. guy, he was mm. a short guy. Who, you know, one of those short guys with the big muscles. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yep. he had a picture of himself over his bed, oiled like this. Oh, yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. Like okay. So when he went dude. public, he got Newsweek, and he was, like, so proud of that. And, you know, and so that was probably more important to him than, than making the money. Yeah. Right. Because he already had the money. Well, well, yeah, you had stock. You don't really have that oh, yeah, much. Yeah, you don't got shit. Yeah, you don't have shit. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and they built like a giant out. house and PV and, you know, the whole thing. And That's funny. Yeah, so so um, so we started getting up uptight, you know, kind of. Uh, so when you knew you weren't wanted, you're like, I'm out of here? I, yeah, well, I, I, I went to a lawyer because this guy's very litigious and I knew that there was a risk he'd sue me. So I, I was very careful of how I did it. And I had a lawyer write the letters. But on like Jan July 31st of 1990, my, I, my partner and I both quit together instead of forming our own company. And, you know, I was hoping we could do business together, you know. How well, did you, how when you, you and your partner, right, your, your current partner, how much dialogue did you guys have? Does, well, he worked for me for, by that time for about five years. And so we were pretty close. Okay, so close. you guys were tight. Yeah. You, you knew you're like, Hey dude, yeah. this is and a guy the, I want to be in a fossil. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He was, he, he, I trusted him implicitly mm -hmm. and that was the main thing. Right. Right. And he, he had, had the really same hard moral worker, compass. For, former football player for Harvard. He, you know, he's a black guy. He'd been to Harvard, been to London school of economics. I mean, he was great, way, way more educated than I was, you know? Jeez. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, you know, I, I thought he'd be, and he was just incredibly hard worker. So I knew we would be a good but you association. Guys, you knew. And then, and Cindy's got your back. Yes. In fact, she didn't have my back when I didn't have my own business. I was working 12 hours a day and she's on my back and I go, look, I'm, I go, they're paying me this much. I got to work, you know, right. They own me. And she's like, no, you should go visit for yourself. Blah, blah, blah. So when I, 
went into business for myself, she was very supportive, but I was working like, you know, 16 hours a day. hours yeah. a day. The first few years are like the hardest I've ever worked in my life, you know? But isn't it, isn't it feel different when it's for you instead of for him? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it was, it yeah. was great. What was it, what was it like when the two of you guys quit at the same time? It was, it was, it was great until they sued me. <laughs> when you guys, when you guys quit before mm-hmm. they sued you yeah. and you're like, Hey, let's go start a company and let's quit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, did you have a little nest egg? Did you I had, had some money? I had 700 grand in the bank. Okay. So you, 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 you knew that you were going to pay your bills, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I, which is good. Right. I knew I could pay my bills at, at the time. Interest rates were such that, you know, I thought I could just generate enough to live on just from the interest. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I took 400,000 and I, I put it in a bank and I said, I want a $400,000 line of credit. You can hold this money as a security, but you got to pay me interest. And they agreed. It was like a local bank called national bank of Southern California. And so I used that to establish credit. And, you know, by the time I, I left, I mean, we had a hundred million dollars worth of lines. I mean, that's how it works, you know, (laughs) and no personal guarantees and that kind of thing. So. So, um, that was, it was, it was ballsy. You know, my partner didn't have any cash at the time cause he'd always, he was all tied up in real estate. So I put up the money for him and then he gave me half of that back and, you know, we just, and how, how quickly did you get sued? Uh, he, he started sending me threatening letters, uh, within a month and then he ended up suing me, uh, I'd say about two, three months after I started the business. Like and you knew, you kind of knew, knew it was, was coming. Happening. Yeah, I knew it was coming. And f- for what? Stealing clients or? <laughs> it was for, he had paid my moving expenses and my commit, you know, to move out. And so it was, it was like, I had always, I had always planned to, to quit and just take the money. And it was just a bullshit lawsuit. Right, bullshit. Right. But, but um, what he didn't expect was that I, I said to my wife, we may go bankrupt. I'm not, I'm going to fight this to the last penny. <laughs> so be, be prepared. And she and, was in. And she was in. So I countersued the guy for 10, he sued me for like 90,000 bucks. <laughs> I countersued him for 10 million for a constructive termination, which is where someone forces you out by cutting your duties. That's constructive termination. So he just couldn't believe it, you know? And this guy was like Rumpelstiltskin. I mean, he, yeah. he had it like, he, he always had to have his way and he was very impatient all the time. So we had a big fight over, is it gonna be, and I moved, I moved back to LA. So is, it, is, a, is a suit gonna be in Colorado or in Los Angeles? And I lost that day in court. It cost me about 25 grand, which was horrible. Um, but I realized it was actually a bonus because I had a Harvard educated lawyer in, in Colorado that was like 200 bucks an hour, you know, <laughs> it was, it was so cheap compared to LA. And, and I said to this guy, I said, look, he kept sending me interrogatories, which are like these questions you got to answer for your lawsuit. Right. And I said, keep objecting. No matter what you do, find something to object and don't answer the questions. And keep sending them back and sending them back and sending them back because this is going to drive the guy nuts. And sure enough, <laughs> you know, the lawyers talk to each other. And so my lawyer told me that that that, that guy was going, he was going crazy. He was jumping up and down and screaming because I kept sending the interrogator. I never answered a question. In like eight months, I wouldn't answer a freaking question. Not one. So finally, um, I was I was visiting my brother. We're driving around. I get a phone call and, and I, you know, who, you know, what's going on? Well, it's, it's, it's this company and they want to, uh, they, they, they'll, they're willing to settle if you pay them 70 grand. And I said to my brother, I just won this lawsuit, you know? <laughs> so I said, no, you pay me 40 and I'll, and I'll drop my suit. <laughs> so we ended up at zero, obviously. Right, watch. I knew it was going to be, and I had to agree not to talk to like five accounts that I wouldn't, you know. How long was that suit? 
let's see, probably less than a year. Less than oh, a year. Oh, nice. But it, you know, it was stressful. It, it was very stressful. And I was, I was really way, I learned a lot I, and I never was scared again about being sued. You know, I just, you know, so right. I watched, cause, it's, cause it's a game. I watched well, this, yeah. I watched this guy, um, on a inner Instagram thing. And he said, very interesting. He said, Hey, if you ever get rich, the first thing you do, don't buy a car, don't buy a house, don't buy a watch, get a lawyer. Right. And then if any, cause they are coming for you when you start making money. Yep. Talk to my lawyer, talk to my lawyer, talk to my lawyer, talk yep. to my lawyer. Yep. And it's, and it's, for me, it resonates like, oh shit. And I hear it right here where it made sense. You yep. had a lawyer. Yep. Hey, fuck yeah. it. Well, yeah. and he was a litigious guy to start with. Yeah. I knew, I knew, I just, I didn't expect him to roll over, you know? So, ah, so. Shit. Uh, did you guys uh, stay in touch afterwards or no? And, and the guy that sued me? Yeah. Rumble? No. He actually, it, uh, the bad thing, my dad, I was very close to, and he died very suddenly in, in January of that, of 91. And the suit was still going on. And, um, you know, so, so I was, I had a lot of bad things going on. It was a very hard time for me. Um, you know, and the guy knew my dad and he, you know, he didn't have the, the courtesy that call the, at least send me a card or whatever, yeah. you know? So no, we never spoke again. In fact, my partner lives in, in, in Palos Verdes and I have lunch with him at least every couple of weeks. And yeah. he told me that uh, he ran into him, this guy at a, at a, a yogurt shop. And, <laughs> and he's like, you know, he says, so he said what he was telling him how, oh, Dave's retired and he's, and he's building this giant house in Utah. The guy looked like he was going to sue again. <laughs> he was very unhappy about it. So it made me happy. Oh, geez. But, you know, it was, it was just such horseshit. So go, yeah, going yeah, exactly. back to that uh -huh. second year of your business, mm -hmm. you, you guys making money? We, yeah, we, we actually never lost money, but we, you know, we made small money our first couple of years. Um, mm -hmm. and we'd go like two weeks without a deal, you know, that kind of thing. Um, you know, so it, it was, it was very hard and we were both selling and just trying to, trying to, you know, we had how many, four, how many employees? I had four guys all on straight, straight commission, including myself. And then I had the only person getting paid was my assistant who I got, got out of retirement and got her to come work for me and I was paying her out of my savings practically. You know? Right. Just to, to fucking do yeah. the paperwork. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Wow. So just to be the voice of reason. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And so, <laughs> so you guys are shit in your pants. It was, it was hard. Yeah. Wait, and the, and I was the, confident. I, I figured I was going to pull it off. Although, and I knew I could get a job for like two, I, I knew I could make about 200 K a year. It's still but. computers. I, right. At least it was computers for a long time. And the landscape, the landscape of computers was changing crazy. Exactly right. Exactly right. Yep. So did you, know? did you think that you might lose the computer business? Well, actually, one of the smartest things I did was to was to make a, a, a flip out of that business into material handling. So all we were doing was high tech. My whole career had always been in high tech, and I loved it. But when when uh, computers got cheaper and cheaper mm -hmm. they stopped being something people would even want to lease and just buy yeah and like in the early days like like if there was servers and all that they only could change things on holidays because they had to run all the time but then you know by by the 90s you could just pull a blade out put another blade in it was no it was it was no big deal so that part of the business, the, the stickiness of the leases really started to change. Mm. And then when there was a big fight between all the, the um, PC guys, you know, HP and Dell and Compaq and all those guys, mm. they started to use leasing as a weapon like car dealers do. 
And so the residual values started to really separate from the, from the, uh, you know, from the, just the lease pricing. So I said, this is not looking good. So I saw an opportunity in forklifts and, um, there had been <laughs> a, talk about, oh, yeah, talk forklifts. about the, the highest tech yep. thing in the world, yep. right? Mainframes yep. and cool computers to so one of the lowest tech things in the world. Great asset. Yeah. But how did you see that? Well, there had been a, a major recession in the early nineties and mm -hmm. all the big companies releasing forklifts. I mean, that was a big least asset because they're everywhere. They're ubiquitous. And so, you know, and the end people have to replace them every certain number of years. So they're good asset for leasing. Well, they all took real big residuals. And when the auto companies just scorched thousands of these things, you know, and they, they closed factories and they, you know, they ended their leases. And these guys all took a beating. Everybody lost money. So, so, uh, forklifts were radioactive. Nobody would touch them. <laughs> and I was like, this is a great asset. I mean, it's only, it's worth the same, you know, 15, 20%, no matter what, it never changes. I'm like, I love this asset. So I started to dabble in it and, and like the mid nineties, I started moving us over. And finally I just dropped after like the 2000 change. I just dropped computers pretty much and went full, full into material so, handling. So you so could, I made my money really in material handling, not computers. You Jeez. knew, you knew like you're leasing computers, but you could lease anything. Well, leasing's leasing. It's just a financial business. You know, it's, it's a, it's a bet between you and the, and the, the lessee. Are they mm -hmm. going to keep their equipment or are they going to return it? Right. If you got your equipment back on the last day of the lease, you, you lost money. Right. If you, if they didn't, you could make, you'd make money, you mm -hmm. know, because all the extra rent after the end of the lease is all gravy. The guy and says, then, Hey, I need it for another six months. Everybody did. And I would look for companies that were like um, subsidiaries or, or plants that were away from corporate because the plants always hate corporate. They just hate them. So, and they have to go through the jump through all this, these hoops to and get corporate doesn't want to give those plants new stuff. Right. And if they want new stuff, it's like, you know, six, eight months, a year of like all this analysis. And the thing is, is that like, no one even thinks about the next forklift to the lease is over. So no matter what, it was going to take six or eight months of, of, you know, guaranteed extended rents. So, you know, it's just, I, it was a great asset. And I looked for the, the people that were least organized, had the most conflict with corporate. And those were like the best clients. And how, how, how'd you figure that stuff out? Did you just go there and visit? I look, you know, I looked at my numbers and I saw that I had a lot of activity, but I made all my money from a couple of really large accounts. You know, the, the TRWs of the world. Mm -hmm. I had so I had a few accounts like that and they were just giving us tons of business. So I said, you know, it's the incremental cost of business that matters. Once you get an account like that, it's just, you get deal after deal after deal automatically and you don't have to sell. So the hard part is getting in. Yes. And so I started to tell my salesman, I don't want you to call anyone who's less than X, you know, billions in size. Well, they, they salesmen love activity. So they didn't really do, they just, you know, they wanted bids and so we're bidding to all these smaller companies. So I finally said, I will not bid on anything. That's not a household name multinational. You just shove that right up, up your butt. I'm not, so, I'm not pricing it. <laughs> Huh. And so salesmen sell what you let them sell, right? Right. And so we started to, to you know, crack all these big accounts. And then in 2008, when everything went to crap, um, it was a field day for us because that was a fear-based recession. And yes. so you could either have cheap money or no money. If you were a good credit, you got a very cheap money. If you had any heritage credit at all, you you're done. You were done. So all the big companies were in so much trouble. They were just trying to survive and they weren't doing any business. I, I started adding all these great big accounts just one after another. You know, I had GM, I did like almost 200 million with those guys. I mean, just 
huge fleets. And so we, we became a real name in, in material handling. And then I developed. And, and material t- handling is what? Forklifts, you know, reach trucks, you know, related equipment, anything that moves stuff around. Is uh, it dump trucks and no, and no, things? it's, it's, it's really it's, it's, it's anything that it's moves on around the property. A factory, yeah, yeah, it doesn't go over the road. Yeah, because over the road you need special licenses. Right, and that kind so of it's thing, it's so. in in house stuff. Yep. And yeah. is there was there a day where no one ever leased a computer again, or is it still happen on the I, big you stuff? You know, I think they they still do it, but I think they're mostly leased from the from the manufacturers. You know, like IBM. Yeah, the big, 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 huge things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but most of them. And actually, most people have these distributed networks, and and they're just you know large amounts of of PCs. So, you know, like TRW, um, I I did a lot of their computers, and then I ended up doing um, their CAD stuff for their engineers, and that just became all their PCs. I had all their PCs, and then it just became like they could just lease, a, they could just buy a PC without getting approval. So. The whole thing just started to unravel. Yeah. The whole business unraveled. You know, it's so funny. It's so funny to me that the pivot was literally if there's two polar opposites yep. of product. Yep. Yeah, right. A yeah. computer and a forklift. Uh-huh. Forklifts are propane based. What it depends. I mean, it if, they're, d- if they're inside, if they're used outside, they usually propane. If they're used inside, they try to use electric. Electric. More and more people going now electric. Now they're probably more electric. Back, yeah. Yeah. back in the Fuel day. Fuel cell batteries are also big. In, in so when I grew up, the kid across the street, his grandpa had the beer distributorship in my town. Uh-huh. Uh, and when we were like 12, we went into the beer distributor. There was cases of Billy Beer. Remember that? Yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, Carter. Uh, Carter. Car- yeah. Carter's brother had Billy Beer. Uh-huh. So there was these pallets of Billy Beer. And, and he said, hey, well, get on the get on the." Uh, forklift and I got on it and hit a button and turned and I put the forklifts right into a pallet of Billy beer. <laughs> That's in fact, what I'm doing now is kind of uh, addresses that, but yes, the only, there's a lot of accidents. In oh, yeah. They're, they're uh, lots of accidents. They're rear steer. Aren't yeah. they? Summer, uh, yeah, summer some of them are. I mean, I mean they're squirrely things. Yeah, they're and, cool as shit, though. Yeah, you got like, to know, you know. I think that was probably the last time I was ever on one. But yeah. it was great. I've never in my life. I've never driven. I've driven a, a virtual. How many have you owned on paper? Thirty, forty thousand. <laughs> <laughs> it was a finance business, you know. You should put one up at the ranch for yeah, fun. Yeah, I should. I have a like, little statues of them. But you know, there's some <laughs> things I did that like other people never did. Like every everyone who leases forklifts charges for hourly overages so they go okay you, you, you this price assumes you're going to go 2,000 hours a year which is like one shift like miles so at the end of 10 years you should have 10,000 hours well if you have 12,000 they charge you a lot per hour for those additional hours everybody does it and I, I did you know I'm a numbers guy I'm doing statistics I go there's no reason we don't need to do this so I stopped charging for that so I got a ton of business because I was the only one in the entire industry that didn't charge for there, an hour there was a, there was a, a car, rental, does car rental company like back in the 80s the first car rental company mm-hmm. enterprise or somebody yep. said uh, unlimited mileage or whatever and it yeah. was a game changer yeah because they did the same thing they run the numbers and wait a minute we don't need to charge a 30 cents a mile because nobody's doing that right right but, right. Exactly mm-hmm. like that. So then everybody floods to you. Everybody flooded to us. So we had several years ahead of everybody in the industry. So like I, I did that. I had um, some other innovations, uh, you know, at the end of the lease, I always have to look at how many hours are on a, on a uh, forklift because I'm going to resell it. So I started to develop this beautiful looking analysis and said, you know, 
Here's how many hours you should be using. Here's how many you have. You should renew these, return these. And we call it the utility studies. My partner is great at naming things. I, you know, I might have the idea. Harvard boy? Yeah. He, but he would come up with a, he would package it beautifully yeah, nice. and make it look great, you know? <laughs> so we were a great team. And, and so we, we had these beautiful utility studies. So we started getting more renewals than other leasing companies too. So our company was very, very profitable. It was really, really profitable. So, uh, yeah, so we became really a big name in, in forklifts. And, and, you know, I made my money really off of, off of least, least high-tech stuff you could find. That's so cool. And yeah. So I, I call myself the king of, or at least the former king of forklifts. <laughs> so, so did you, when you decided to retire, mm-hmm. Right. Did you, did you sell the company? Well, you know, I started thinking again, I, I look at books. I look at how people are at certain ages Yeah. and I said, you know, you got to plan ahead. So I knew around 65, I was probably going to want to start thinking about retiring. So, um, and I also knew that the baby, I'm a baby boomer. I was born right in the dead center of it. 55. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, you know, well, when I turned 65, so are 10 billion other guys. And so all these well, these entrepreneurs are going to be selling their businesses. And there were very, there were relatively few independent lessors around because a lot of them had already sold. So I said, I'm going to get ahead of everybody. So I started kind of like preparing before everyone else to sell my business. And um, I ended up uh, selling it. I, I got probably the highest price you could possibly get for, for our, our business. And I sold it to a Japanese firm. But, but it was really, you know, just because... At the time I started, I really didn't need to retire yet, but I just knew it was going to come. It took, you know, a couple of years to, to, to sell it and, you know, prepare, sell the whole thing. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think I decided to do it in August of 2017. And, uh, I think the deal was done by like January of 2019. So, I mean, it took, it took a little while. I had, a, yeah, I had a, you know, there's a whole process you got to go through and, and, and all was that. There, but, was yeah. there a celebration in January? For me? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. My partner, he didn't sell as much as I did because he's African-American and they wanted to keep the the uh, minority designation. So I owned 50%. I sold 40%. So I, I kept 10%. He could only sell 20% because he had to stay with 30% to still be a minority controlled company. So that was... That was right. the whole thing. He's that still we, there. So he's still there. Now his contract's over, but I understand he's extended it. He told me. He likes the juice. He likes the game. He likes the. He's just, he's five years younger than me. And he's just not ready yet. Yeah. Cool. But he's getting there. He's getting there. So you guys were partners how long? <sighs> Close to 40 years, 30s. We started working in eight, together in 84, started a business in 90. So, so what, we sold what was the key to that partnership? You already mentioned you trusted him implicitly. We, did, we, we didn't get in each other's way. I, I ran the business and he ran sales. So, you know, he was good. If he's getting off, getting on a plane, I didn't ask him where he was going, what he was doing. And, and he didn't question me. So, you know, I was always his boss and he, he didn't, you know, he was my equal. We never did anything that we didn't agree on, but he let me be the boss in a way, you know? Mm -hmm. So he was the head of one thing. He was like Mr. Outside. I stayed Mr. Inside. Did you guys have disagreements? In the early days, we had a couple of couple, but after that, we really, we rarely disagreed about so anything. Cool. And we never did anything. If there was anything big, we both had to agree. And if one of us said no, it was no. So it was, mm -hmm. it was a veto. Wow. So it was just a great relationship. I mean, one time in order to get approved, he couldn't have a certain, he gave me a check for a million dollars of his, that was like all his money. And, and I said, thanks. You know, and I, I could have just kept it, but I get it because I gave it back. But I, I never would have, you know, that's the kind of trust he, we had. You, you guys knew each other, 
right? So yeah, he knew yeah, that. Yeah, he he, he trusted me. I trusted him as much as I trust anybody. Trust and, is, trust but is. But we had a contract. You know what? Trust is one thing, but contracts are still necessary. So walk me through the, that contract. What did, what did that well, look like? Well, it was a, you know, it was a typical buy sell agreement, but it was like, here's what happens if one of us dies. Here's, here's how the, the, we dissolve the partnership. You know, that's just responsible. Yeah. But a lot of people don't do that. Yeah. Now, you right. Know? And it's dumb. Pat and I don't have one for the podcast. And, and we <laughs> well, got, so you're making a ton of money. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm sure this episode's going to make it, going to put yeah, you over the top. We're, we're, you, you, you have uh, more, you have more forklifts on, on the books than we have listeners. <laughs> That's why I wasn't too nervous. So, so when you, when you, so I know you're both, I know you got sort of bored with retirement. Well, I, actually, I, again, I prepare in advance. Yes. So a few years before I even did this, I started, I got involved with an incubator at UCI. Okay. To help advise and to just, you know, see what other companies were. And there was a company there that had a forklift simulator virtual reality based forklift simulator. So I invested in it through the company. And then when we sold the business, I kept the investment for myself and I added to mm -hmm. it. Now I'm on the board. So I, I always knew I had something. So as it is, I'm, I'm actually working. I'm the treasurer of that company. I'm on the board and it's probably takes 20 hours a week at least. Uh, oh, shit. So, and this is a cool, really cool product. It's a, they had this guy built a forklift with real, you know, heister controls, you know, with all the little buttons and all the things you got to do. But you put on, you know, you put on the virtual reality goggles and you are transported and it's, it's got OSHA, uh, you know, approved training tools and we can bring a driver up to about 90% and then he has to get on a forklift to finish it. But it's, it's like flight it's safety great, for yes. forklift guys. It's yeah. brilliant. It's a great, and they, these guys, they have the best product on the market. Um, there's some business issues that I'm dealing with to help them grow that I've that I, I have some issues with a lot of issues with, but that's why you're there. They got a great product and we're starting to really make inroads. We've sold about 400 of them. And can we, can we, we talk about the name of the company? It's called forklift simulator. Forklift simulator. And super original. Yeah. And isn't if that, you go isn't online, that, and isn't it crazy? The forklift, forklift dash, world. It's forklift dash simulator.com. Um, check it out. They have the website. It's a, it's a really, it's a great product. They were just at ProMat, which is the big uh, uh, convention. So like if, and, and if, we, if I get hired yeah, by, some of our if I get hired in a big logistics company, right. And I'm going to drive a forklift. Uh -huh. I go on the simulator to get. Well, a, you may say, let's say you say I can drive a forklift, you know, well, someone says I can do Excel. You give them a test. Mm. It's like, okay, we'll drive a forklift. I mean, it's like you're driving a forklift. When right. you're, you know, if you drag the, the, the forks, they make that, that sound. Yeah, right. Right. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's like, it's, a, cool. I mean, I try to run people over on purpose because, you know, it's me. But, <laughs> but so you, you, so this is a, a product that you sell to somebody and, and they can put their employees yeah. through eight, eight hours of training. Right. Right. Now there's some vexion of nausea issues with, with it. We're still dealing with. Okay. Um, especially for guys like our age who don't play a lot of games, we're not really used to it. Is so, it like an Oculus thing? Yeah, yeah. We have we use the Oculus. I think. Well, I sometimes we use Oculus. Sometimes they use HP, but they, they have a, a headset that they source. Yeah, it's their software though. That that actually it's you know so crazy. It, it I never thought about the stuff. forklift world. And 
Yeah, I mean, this is so we have a desktop model that you can just kind of like you bolt to a desk and and it's got a handle and you know at a plate you stand on and it's you know and or you and you know in your ear it's beeping as you're backing up and you can look behind just it's so, freaking so amazing. You, you lease in the simulator? Well, I'm trying to get them to do lease. These guys talk about rental, but or I, is I it say, a software play? Oh, it's, like a it's, licensing it's deal. It's hardware. It's well, oh, it's really a hardware play okay. right now with with some software licensing. Licensing. I'd like to to add leasing because I think we could sell a lot more units. And I've I've got all something lined up. I can I can make that happen really yeah, easily. Yeah, you, you really the, you know I, a guy. I still have friends. Yeah, I still have friends. Ah. I've already got the financing lined up, so that's not going to be a problem if we can do it. If if they can they can do it. But you know, try we 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 sell lots of schools, prisons, vocational schools. Logistics companies are buying them. Um, you know, there's a lot of accidents with forklifts. I mean, a lot of sure. people get killed every day with Jeez. those things. And so, you know, this is a product that's needed. And, that's great. And, yeah. So and it's awesome. So, yeah, that's, so, that's what I'm doing. And then I'm also, I've been elected president of my homeowners association in Utah. Oh, fuck yes. Uh, I just got that's that. That's the I'm job. I'm not sure I'm happy uh, about that. Man. Every dickhead now. <laughs> that's a, that's right, a grenade. Right. I'm, I, I agreed to carry a grenade. Every, everybody bro. regrets that. Yeah, I know. Oh, but I, I, had, I had to do it. The other guys couldn't. And so I, oh, I, I took Love it. I so, already gotten a phone call about two neighbors that were pissed at each other. Of course. Why are they, why are they mad? Of course. Oh, this is one guy who's like, he, he's like a Nazi and he loves to like get people in trouble and he got somebody in trouble and, he, and this guy found out the other guy is the one who did. These are all rich guys. Right, right, right. And right. Like, they're really pissed at each no, other. They're, you know? they're going to act like a bunch of freaking junior high kids. Yeah, well, and my, my, my manager says, I want you to know I use barnyard language. I mean, this is Utah. I have to watch my mouth when I talk to my builder because you know, I'm always dropping F-bombs. I can't sure. do that. You know? They're but, like these freaking New York yeah. guys. Yeah. keep moving here. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so it was like, I used barnyard language. I go, that's okay. I'm sure it was, I'm sure it was justified, you know? Oh my so, God. That's awesome. So that's what I'm doing right now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. good. So we uh, do two uh, things writing here, Writing a memoir too. All right. We do two things when we wrap up. Mm -hmm. One, your elevator pitch, or maybe a little bit longer than an elevator pitch to our youth about, hey, what it takes to grind through and get to where you got. Okay. And then to, you know, talk about the memoir and where we can find your products. Okay. Well, um, if if you're going to start a business, there's there's some basic things you got you have to, to, to understand. One, you have to have a plan, a business plan. Even if it's just an outline, you got to think about what your expense is going to be. Uh, what you're going to be doing, you should, if you, if you're starting something, it should be in a business, you know, something about, so you know where the pitfalls are, because, you know, if, you, if I opened a restaurant, I'd probably lose my ass. I don't know, you mm -hmm. know, what the, what the, the real issues are, but I know leasing, I know what kind of problems you're going to run into running a company. So, so, you know, if you can be in a business that, that you're familiar with, you're going to, you're going to be too better. And so, you know, I worked for people for 14 years before I started working for myself. Um, a business should have one purpose and one purpose only. I really have a problem when people are promoting DEI or whatever through their business because a business's job is to make money. Mm -hmm. And so you have to have that kind of focus. You have to know what you're doing and where you're going. If you start your company and you want it to grow into a business, you think of it as a company, not as a couple of guys doing deals because you're going to need management. You're going to need structure. You're going to need accountability. You have to, you have to think about those things. You can't just, just start a company. You know, you have to always think of yourself as something larger than what you really are. You have to be ethical. I ne you know, I may not volunteer information, but I never lie to a customer. If they ask me a question, I'll give them a true answer. You know, I mean, I say, you know, Hey, this is, you know, 
could be a problem if they don't ask, but, mm-hmm. but I, I will always tell them the truth. And I, and I, I, I keep my promises and I, uh, you know, I'm, I believe you have to use the highest ethics and it, reputation builds over time. When I started my company, I borrowed a million dollar computer from somebody. I had no, you know, he knew I couldn't pay for it, but they just gave me a million dollar computer. Why? Cause I didn't business with the guy for 10 years and he knew that I was very honest. I always kept my promises and, you know, those kind of things pay off. So, you know, cutting corners and doing things that aren't entirely honest and just, you know, not being, not being completely ethical is, is a mistake and, Mm -hmm. and people, so people need to be ethical and, you know, you're going to work harder than you've ever worked in your life. If you start a business, you have to, you have to know that you have to leave it all on the field, just like in sports, you know, you, you have to give it everything you have or you won't succeed. Mm -hmm. And, um, I actually, I've hired a lot of ex sports guys, you know, a lot of uh, guys who played college sports. Um, they make great salesmen because they're goal oriented. They're intense. You can coach them, you know, those kind of things. So, so you gotta be prepared to work extremely hard. So, you know, have a plan, know what your purpose is, be ethical. Um, you know, have, be single minded, be logical about where you're going and, and, and give it everything you got. And, you know, you'll probably succeed if it's a, that's a good idea. That's, that's great. You gotta take it's risks, awesome, dude. You know? It's fucking awesome. I, well, that's a, I'm that's comfortable a, with risk. That's a mini MBA program right there. Dude, 100%. <laughs> and where 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 do we find your products? Forklift Simulator. Um, actually, just go online at www.forklift-simulator.com. Um, and, uh, you know, they have a lot of information online, a lot of testimonials you can order right off the website. It's a... It's a great product. That's where you can find us. That's Perfect. cool. That's really yeah. cool. And so, if you want to lease a forklift, if you want to lease one forklift, I'm probably not your guy. But if you want to lease fifty, <laughs> I'm your guy. I can get that done for you. I can still. I still have my connections. I, one of my best, really best friends in the business sold this company to a bank, and we still talk very frequently. And I can place a deal like that with them so perfect yeah, yeah. dave dude thanks so much for for doing this we really yeah, appreciate great it stuff, man. thanks for letting great me stuff. You know, talk about myself i love well. it i love it <laughs> thanks everybody <laughs> thank you.